BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. It's Wednesday, October 12th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The effort to create a more secure and powerful internet, one that could be potentially unhackable, lies in quantum research going on at the University of Chicago. More specifically, in a basement closet at the lab there. In this closet, they are firing off quantum particles into a fiber optic network with the hopes of eventually connecting a network of supercomputers. Gene Whalen, reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for how the technology works and what the future of the internet could look like. Next, as the labor market continues to be tight and employers still facing a shortage of workers, many are turning to so-called second-chance hirings, recruiting employees with a criminal record. It has long been a challenge for people who have been convicted of crimes to get jobs and face an employment rate of over 27% from the last numbers we have. Allison Prang, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how more companies are looking to hire from this untapped talent pool. Finally, while most people feel comfortable communicating through text, the new method that is catching on is sending voice messages. The problem is, not everyone is on board with these audio messages yet, and there is some etiquette to follow when sending them. Magdalene Taylor, contributor to the Wall Street Journal, joins us for the year of the voice message. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And in this quantum world, particles can exist in multiple states at the same time, like on and off, but simultaneously, and they can be entangled. That is, they can share information with one another, even over very long distances, and even without a physical connection. Joining us now is Gene Whalen, reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Gene. Sure thing. Well, uh, you wrote an article about the next iteration of the internet, possibly, the future, and what it has to do with quantum research that's going on right now at the University of Chicago. They have like a little basement closet, basically, where they have this quantum computer that's doing a lot of testing right now to see what's going on with this. Now, the United States, China, others are trying to harness right now these properties of what they call quantum particles so that we can make computer processing so much faster really uh, start solving big problems or whatever, and, and also connect other quantum computers around the world. So the, really, the whoever kind of really gets to it first is going to be a major player in the future of the internet and what's going on. So Gene, tell us a little bit more about what's going on there in Chicago, and then we'll try to explain uh, what's going on with the quantum computing, because it gets a, a little confusing at, at times. 
It's very confusing. It's a tough it's a tough one to get your head around. So what I wrote about was research around the quantum internet in Chicago. And so they are the University of Chicago is also attempting to develop quantum computers, but what I focused on was their efforts around the quantum internet, which is a new type of internet that would use quantum bits to relay information instead of the digital bits that we use in today's internet. And the hope is that quantum bits would be much harder to hack into, that it would be much harder to break encryption when you or I were to use the quantum internet to send encrypted information. So that's, that's kind of the main goal of it. And they're doing a lot of good research at this university lab. And some of this uh, experiments and the research they're doing right now specifically does deal with that, right? Sending information that is encrypted in this way, right? And the reason why they say, you know, this could lead to an unhackable internet is because any little disruption, right? If somebody gets in there and does hack into this, any disruption in the, the particles there causes it to break down. That's right. Yeah. So they are, so far, they're not even sending information, they're sending encryption keys through this network. So they're trying to be sure that the keys that you would use to encrypt information can be sent securely and successfully via quantum bits. And yes, when one of the laws of quantum mechanics says that once anyone tries to observe a quantum bit, it automatically changes the state of that bit and therefore destroys whatever information it's carrying. So it's really hard to get your head around, but basically any attempt to hack into one of these encryption keys would automatically destroy the key. That's why scientists think that this technology could be so useful. Now, something as important as this, uh, you know, future of the Internet, the quantum Internet, all of this, you would think it'd be in some huge grand lab, you know, security, whatever, the whole nine. But uh, my understanding is that this is in a a very tiny room. It looks like a closet. It's very cluttered. (laughs) Describe that to me. The closet is within a very sophisticated, high-tech, highly guarded building. But the main equipment that is sending these quantum particles into the fiber optic network. So they've set up this fiber optic test bed to sort of test this quantum internet around the Chicago area. The hardware that is sending those quantum particles into the network is indeed located in a closet, in a like three foot wide closet. And it actually (laughs) says equipment closet on the side, which I thought was very funny. So I sort of focused on that in the article. But it's not like any old broom closet, you know, with rooms in it. It's within a very sophisticated building in which there are dozens and dozens of very high-tech labs full of other equipment. And so how are the experiments going? As you uh, said, they're trying, they're sending encryption keys right now. My understanding is that these particles, though, are very delicate and, um, you know, things can malfunction. So what kind of problems have they come across? What are they trying to overcome right now? What's going on with those? Yeah. Yeah, so the main goal of this is to see whether you can send these tiny quantum bits long distances through real-world conditions. So through a fiber cable that is laid under highways and under, you know, one of the loops goes under an IKEA. So it's, you know, it's (laughs) real-world conditions. And yeah, the slightest change in temperature or vibration can disturb a quantum particle and basically make it malfunction. So that's one real problem to getting quantum bits to travel long distances. The other problem is that so the, the quantum bits that they are sending through this network are actually quantum particles of light. 
so extremely tiny particles of light called photons. And as these particles of light travel through the fiber optic cables, fiber optic cables are made of glass, the glass eventually distorts the light after a certain amount of distance and prevents it from traveling far enough. And so the scientists are trying to develop ways to kind of give the particle the boost and help these particles travel longer distances. So that's going to take a while yeah. to sort out too. So, so far they're just, they're kind of at an early stage of the research. And that team is looking at devices and materials that can help with all that to what you were just talking about. They say synthetic diamonds is uh, something that holds promise. Yeah. So they have a big machine that <laughs> that helps accelerate the process of growing these synthetic diamonds. Too. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. a lot of a lot of parts of the sort of computing or semiconductor industry now are experimenting with synthetic diamonds as a material that can help build more and more sophisticated computers mm-hmm. or devices to aid the various kinds of networking. So yeah, they the partner lab so the University of Chicago is working on this project with Argonne National Laboratory, the federally funded lab west of Chicago. And out there, they have a synthetic diamond, what they call it, reactor, I believe. So it's a machine that grows synthetic diamonds at a really, really slow pace. Yeah. Gene Whalen, reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Still in a lot of job application processes, that might hold someone's application up or might prohibit them from getting hired at a place. This whole second chance hiring effort aims to get around that and, and sort of negate that as a problem. Joining us now is Allison Prang, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Allison. Thanks for having me. Well, we all know there's a lot of uneven economic news going on right now, especially with all the high inflation that's going on and the super tight labor market that's happening. There's a lot of companies that still need more employees. There's a lot of people that aren't really even looking for jobs. Is you know, It's all over the place with what's going on right now. But with this labor shortage, it's starting to push a lot more employers to want to recruit employees who have served prison time. And you know, historically, we've seen these people really struggle to find employment after they get out of jail or prison. So right now we're seeing even big companies, banks, pharmacy chains that are doing what are called these uh, second chance hiring. So Allison, tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, definitely. So there's two issues at play here. If you talk to some of these second chance hiring programs, and that that means what it says in the title, essentially hiring that gives someone a second chance, because oftentimes the labor market discriminates against people who have criminal backgrounds. So if you talk to heads of some of these programs that I talked to, they'll say they think this tight labor market has really helped boost interest in their programs and in, in hiring people who have criminal backgrounds. But I think something else that is also driving the companies here is trying to ease social inequities. So trying to maybe tap into a more diverse group of hires. You know, one company I talked to said that after George Floyd was murdered in 2020, they wanted to look at more what they were doing for communities of color. This is an area that they could do more in, they decided. And so they've that's CBS Health. They've done a ton of second chance hiring. This has also grown in popularity in just the past couple of years. Like we saw in 2021, the Second Chance Business Coalition be created. And that is a coalition of now more than 40 companies who share best practices 
for this type of hiring. That grew from 29 companies last year to more than 40 this year. And as you flicked at, it includes major corporations like J.P. Morgan Chase, CVS Health, American Airlines. It includes the big guys, which one person I talked to said, you know, that lends credibility to this type of hiring when you have a J.P. Morgan or whatnot that's really interested in it. Speaking about J.P. Morgan Chase specifically, about one-tenth of their new hires last year, there's about 4,300 people had criminal records. But, you know, they're putting them into positions of uh, bank tellers, other jobs at the the bank branches. And they said that, you know, they haven't noticed anything, at least from other coworkers, of being uneasy or having any type of complaints or anything like that. Exactly. They said they've gotten a very positive reaction from their employees. They think this sort of program is something that the employees take pride in. So that's what I heard from J.P. Morgan. Definitely. Tell me a little bit about the challenges of uh, people that have been uh, convicted of crimes, the challenges that they have finding jobs after they get out. This is a little bit of older data, but from 2018, there was a report saying that their unemployment rate is over 27%. Definitely. So the unemployment rate for this group of people is massive because they're often discriminated against, like I said earlier, in the labor market. So oftentimes there's been a push against the whole, you know, you've probably heard of the ban the box campaign to ban the box that people have to check, you know, if they have a criminal background or something related to that. So there's been a campaign against that, but still in a lot of job application processes that might hold someone's application up or might prohibit them from getting hired at a place. This whole second chance hiring effort aims to get around that and and sort of negate that as a problem. Is there any uh, tips out there for people that have criminal records? I mean, I I maybe start by looking at the Second Chance Business Coalition, right? I'm assuming all those businesses there are very amenable to things like that. Uh, American Airlines Group is part of this. And uh, I think there was even a railroad company, too, that was starting to hire a lot of uh, former inmates. Yeah, that's Union Pacific. They also were looking at doing this. And they said that they worked with different transition services around the country to sort of get people. But there's also other, I talked to, there's second chance hiring programs around the country, not at corporations like Jails to Jobs that work to get people jobs or, you know, set them up for success after they get out of the criminal justice system. So there are also programs around the country that that actually work to do this and sort of be that middleman um, between people getting jobs and them coming from a criminal justice-based background. Allison Prang, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. 
Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Just sort of quick one to two minute long messages from friends explaining their thoughts on something or a funny story. And yeah, it kind of serves as like a happy or depending on your perspective, unhappy medium (laughs) between the text message and a phone call. Joining us now is Magdalene Taylor, contributor to the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Magdalene. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's talk about the year of the voice message and a little bit uh, of a guide to phone etiquette and using kind of this growing in popularity uh, way of communicating. So for the longest time right now, everybody's been set in their ways with text messages. They're so easy to send, uh, easy to understand, everything. Uh, I think millennials like firmly set in into the whole text message thing. But right now, a lot of people are starting to use these voice messages, voice memos. You know, they come in different forms, whatever phone you have, but they all work the same way. And increasingly, people are starting to use it. You know, it's uh, not as urgent as a phone call, let's say, but maybe it's a, there's a little bit more you want to say with a voice message rather than a text. So it's catching on a little bit more, even though they've been around for some time and it's kind of divisive right now. People don't know if they love them, they hate them, they're all over the place with it. So tell us a little bit more about it, Magdalene. Voice messages, the kind that you would send over iMessage or Instagram chat, they have been around for a good eight years now, depending on what platforms you use. But it sort of seems that, at least in my memory, over the pandemic in particular, I started to receive them a lot more often, just sort of quick one to two minute long messages from friends explaining their thoughts on something or a funny story. And yeah, it kind of serves as like a happy or depending on your perspective, unhappy medium (laughs) between the text message and a phone call. 22% of respondents with smartphones saying they like receiving these voice messages, 25% dislike doing so, but it's still just growing in popularity despite that. You know, it's like I said, as the technology kind of evolves a little bit, you know, who said who's to say, you know, in a few years time, people are going to exclusively be dealing in these more so than text even. Definitely, um, particularly with iMessage, for example, making new updates to their voice message option, it does make it a bit easier to send and listen to voice messages. In the past, I felt that the buttons are small or, you know, you can't exactly speed through a message if you want to, you know, somebody's rambling and you want to skip to the good part. So they have enhanced usability in a way that I think might make it continue to uh, grow in popularity. You spoke to a number of people about, you know, loving it or hating it, whatever. Some people just prefer the plain old texting. Others say, depending on, uh, you know, a person's disabilities, voice notes might not be the best thing. That's why a text is still good or just that kind of availability of time, right? It takes much more time to listen through a voice message. And, you know, you need to be in a quiet place, too, sometimes, rather than just being able to scan quickly on a text. Right, exactly. Um, And some people find that receiving a voice message is is sort of an intrusion on their day, maybe in the way that a phone call might be, um, and they have to stop what they're doing and listen to it, whereas they could more easily read a text and respond on their own time without having to say, stop the podcast that they're listening to. You did have a little bit of uh, some new phone etiquette. 
to guide us through if you want to start using that or if you start getting voice messages from other people, because sometimes it's the other person doing it to you. The first one that's totally important, right? Consider if it must be a voice note, right? It, it, you hear, see those memes like, we just had a meeting for an hour that something that could have been easily an email. It's kind of that same thing, right? If it's got to be sent, to, you got to consider it a little bit more. Right, absolutely. If it's something that you think would warrant a phone call, if it's something serious that you think you should have a direct communication with a person, that's an example as well where it should probably just be actually a phone call. Yeah. But so it's it's the same kind of thinking with the voice memo. Don't make it too long or too short. Probably uh, about a minute or under is probably good. Yeah, some people believe uh, actually maybe <laughs> closer to 30 seconds, but I think that a minute is a real good guidepost of don't go too much over that at very least. This is another one uh, to do think of your audience. Uh, you know, if somebody's going to open up a voice memo and they're at work or whatever the case may be, chances are some other people could hear it. So don't necessarily uh, start cussing and saying, you know, a bunch of slanderous things out there. The voice memo might not be the best uh, avenue to gossip about your friends who might actually be in the room of the person that you're sending the voice memo to. <laughs> Another one here, don't send voice notes anywhere you'd be uncomfortable making a phone call. So this is like about audio quality. I mean, if it's hard to listen to the voice memo, you're defeating the whole purpose. Exactly. It's just like, again, with a phone call, if you would need to step outside of the room that you're in to make a phone call, you should do the same for a voice memo. This one I like a lot, actually. Do text your recipient beforehand, kind of this bridging the gap, right, with a quick warning that, uh, you know, hey, I, I'm going I'm to send you a voice memo, or I have a really interesting story to tell you, you know, I can only tell it to you quickly through a voice memo. At least he kind of gives somebody that heads up so they know what they're expecting. Exactly. Yeah. For me, I would feel a little bit less nervous about what I was about to receive if I got a little warning ahead of time. And then these last two kind of go hand in hand, I believe. Uh, you know, don't expect one back. If you send somebody a voice memo, who knows if they'll send you one back and don't overdo it, right? You know, it's just like with texting, you know, you send a, a million blue boxes and don't get any ones in return. Uh, you don't want to do the same with the voice memos. For a lot of the people who told me that they dislike the voice memo, they particularly dislike how they just keep on coming to them and they have kind of struggled to signal to the person who's sending them that this isn't exactly the best medium for them. So yeah, kind of read the room a bit right, um, exactly. in, in your messages. Magdalene Taylor, contributor to the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you again for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. 
What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today.